o'clock, 3 p.m. right here at KZSU Stanford, 90.1 FM, which means it's time for Aerobology, the weekly show that takes you on a virtual flying carpet ride around the uh, Arabian Peninsula, and this week is no different. I have uh, great music for you, and I have amazing guests for you, including Ashley Lohman. We also will have uh, an interview that's pre-recorded with the Palestinian hip-hop group DAM, and uh, of course, uh, that interview was recorded uh, a couple of weeks ago right here at Stanford. They were here along with Omar Ofendam, who will also be uh, featured on the interview. So plenty of goodies to come right here on the Arabology Show on KZSU Stanford, 90.1 FM. This is DJ Ramsey, and let the music begin. <laughs> Yeah. 
That was the Egyptian project and a track called Ya Omar. That's actually the title track from their brand new album. It's Ya Omar means O Moon. So I guess it's an ode to the moon. And uh, it's a great way to start this week's uh, edition or episode of Arabology. I'm your DJ Ramsey. I'll be with you until 5 p.m. And I'll be bringing you, uh, well, uh, a nice selection of interviews and music. And a case in point, of course, is none other than Ashley Lohman, who is my special guest. Uh, she's my live guest in the studio right here in our, uh, on the Arabology show. So I'll begin by uh, saluting her in Arabic, ladies and gentlemen. Marhaba, Ashley. Marhaba, Ramzi. Kaif al-hal? Alhamdulillah. <laughs> so for those of you who didn't understand that, certainly you heard uh, Ashley's beautiful Arabic. We'll be asking her about where, oh where, did she pick that beautiful language up. And uh, we'll also be speaking to her about the Beyond the Bombs website that she uh, created. So let me delve right into that, Ashley. Beyond the Bombs. What bombs and what are we talking about? So Beyond the Bombs, it's a multimedia web platform that I launched this past November, actually. And it aims to sort of broaden the Western perspective on the Middle East and North Africa region. Um, It's a region that many Americans and other Westerners really only see through the news. And most of the news is about bombs and violence and conflict and tension. And we recognize that those, of course, exist in the region and are actually newsworthy, so it's fair that that's what's in the news. Um, but the hard part is that they don't, Americans and other Westerners don't really see anything outside of that. They don't see the diversity, the art or the culture or the people, um, and they miss a lot of the the good aspects of the region, but also the human aspects of the region. Mm-hmm. And so you felt that this, uh, well, let's not say misperception, but the lack of representation of certain, you know, cultural or musical trends or, or whatever, uh, and, and it warranted uh, creating a website that would actually attempt to show those aspects of Arab culture and uh, traditions. Uh, how, how did you decide to do this? Was it a a single-handed uh, effort, or uh, did you wake up one day and decide, I'm going to do this? I did wake up one day and decide to do this, um, but it came from sort of a series of experiences that I've traveled to the region a few times, studied there, and every time I'd come back from my trips, I'd be really excited and want to share all of the um, fun friends and the positive experiences that I'd had. And Many of my family and friends here had a really hard time understanding why. I mean, they were shocked that I'd enjoyed my time in the mm-hmm. Middle East as, you know, a Western, very uh, Western-looking girl traveling. Mm-hmm. And they thought that uh, they were worried that I'd get blown up in a, a terrorist bombing. And, of course, that's a concern in certain parts of the region, but they – they had a hard time differentiating where I was from where those parts are, and they, they were just shocked to find that there were all of these positive and unexpected experiences. Mm. So I really wanted to help them sort of see the broader picture um, and help others like them do the same. Wow. And so what, what uh, regions did you visit? 
so far, I've studied in uh, Turkey and Jordan and have also visited Egypt and Jerusalem. Wow. Wow. You've really been <laughs> to the Middle East. I'd like uh, to see more. <laughs> and uh, uh, like when you went to Jordan, for example, I mean, that's a relatively safe country. Uh, did you feel that it uh, lived up to your expectations and maybe lived down to people's concerns? I don't know if that's even a term, lived down. But uh, how did you feel about, uh, you know, exploring Jordan? Jordanian culture, let's say. I loved it. Wow. <laughs> um, it exceeded my expectations as far as um, the, the great experiences I had. And certainly I had family and friends be very concerned um, because they, they don't realize that Jordan is a fairly stable country, mm -hmm. despite the fact that it's surrounded by um, some less stable areas. And so I, I traveled all over the country and had some really great interactions with um, with the, the local Jordanian culture. And actually, one of my favorite experiences, I was traveling in a city in the north of Jordan and ended up spending the whole day with a Jordanian family who I stopped. My friend and I were traveling together, and we stopped and asked them for directions in our very um, belabored Arabic. And they ended up one of the family members ended up walking with us for 10 kilometers wow. to help us get to this religious site we were trying to visit. And over the course of the trip, he took us to his uncle's vineyard and his uncle welcomed us wow. in. And <laughs> it was an incredible show of hospitality. He brought us to his family's home that night and they cooked us this huge dinner. And before we left, um, his grandmother actually presented me with a bracelet nice. and thanked us for coming. And we were blown away because we were the ones that needed to be thanking them for the day of wow. fun and hospitality. So, wow. I and had so, so these people weren't expecting, like, you know, uh, to be paid financially for doing this. They just did it out of the goodness of their hearts. No, yeah, they did. And my friend and I, to be honest, were kind of skeptical at first because right. we, we weren't used to this sort of outpouring of hospitality. And so... We were, we were nervous that, you know, we were being taken advantage of or that maybe, you know, there were bad intentions involved. And really, it was just a wonderful day with a wonderful wow. family. Wow, and very indicative of the Jordanian hospitality, you know, because they're kind of, uh, you know, legendary for being those kind of people. You know, it's a, they come from a very tribal society where, you know, when a weary traveler would pass by, they would be sure to share whatever food they may have and sometimes even give them their own food without, you know, hesitation. So I'm glad you were able to get that kind of experience, one that we don't really see in the media today when it comes to certain aspects of Arab culture. But did that kind of uh, constitute a driving force in attempting to create Beyond the Bombs, the website? Yes, absolutely. Um, it was experiences like that that I would come home and tell people. And it, it was great to see my family and friends struggle with it. But then, you know, when they would hear these stories, their faces would light up in a sense. Um, it was really great to, to see see how it changed their perspective over mm. time mm. Um, and recognize that, that there are elements of the culture that they just didn't even know about. Wow. And so the, the website's actually beyond the bombs, but the URL address is, uh, is a little different. 
Currently, it's beyondthebombs.wordpress.com, um, but actually within the next month, it will be a self-hosted site with a brand new design, which I'm very excited about. Wow. Um, and there's a link on the current site that tells you where the new site will be hosted, and I will post updates when that happens. Okay, so we don't know what the new uh, URL will be. It, it's actually btbombs.com. Btbombs, so for beyond the bomb, btbombs.com. Dot com. Okay, yes. but in the meantime, we'll just go to beyondthebombs.wordpress.com. Exactly. Uh, there, I did it. Uh, so, no, certainly uh, I've seen your website, Ashley, and it's so uh, needed, especially in these times where there seems to be this sort of system, systematic demonization of certain aspects of Arabness and the Arab world and Islam and you know and I think if more people were to visit the area with an open mind, uh, then uh, this kind of eternal gap between East and West would uh, would just uh, dissolve and uh, disappear. Inshallah. Inshallah. And I also think it's important that the website, it, it tries to highlight the parts that we don't see, the good parts and also maybe the neutral parts. At the same time, it has an element that it tries to humanize the, the violence and the political tension that, that we do see in the headlines. Because frequently we read casualty counts, we read refugee numbers, and even myself reading those day after day, I, t I start to forget mm -hmm. that there's human lives being affected. Right. And so some of the content addresses the, the experiences, the negative experiences, certainly, but the experiences behind those headlines. So it's, it's widening the perspective both in gaining the positive and also better understanding the negative. And so, Ashley, what was it that uh, got you interested in doing this, in exploring the Arab world, in attempting to go beyond the bombs? Um, it was actually my experience at Stanford as an undergrad. Um, I was an international relations major and took a class um, in security studies and became very interested in terrorism, actually, sort of the opposite of what, what I'm looking at right now, um, and was very interested in languages, so started taking Arabic classes. Wow. So the, the two combined, it, it um, I don't know, it was just, it was a region that, that I'd heard a lot about but knew little about. And so I think sort of the challenge and, and the unfamiliarity was really interesting to me. Right. Um, so that's where it all started. And I think we should tell our listeners that, uh, what is the, what do we call this, disclaimer, I guess, <laughs> that uh, I had the uh, pleasure and the honor of being your instructor for second year Arabic at Stanford before you graduated. Look at you all grown up and back at Stanford now, Ashley Lohman. Um, but I remember uh, the way you uh, embraced the Arabic language. You were excited about it. You were not afraid to take chances in terms of your speaking in class and uh, even making mistakes uh, at some point. How, was the, how, how easy was it for you or how difficult was it to learn the language and did that contribute towards learning about the culture? Um, the language is difficult, <laughs> certainly is difficult, but I actually really enjoy languages, so the difficulty almost made it more fun. Um, as far as getting into the culture through the language, I think language was critical to that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it's, it's difficult to understand, to truly pick up on cultural elements or even political 
or security or military-related elements without having some foot in the culture. I mean, excuse me, in the language. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was critical to everything I've done so far. Um, and spending time in the region, I'm really glad that I had the language because I may not have had as uh, the depth of experience that I got. Yeah, uh, and that's, I think, a very uh, good point you're raising because there's sometimes, and especially in academia, this movement towards separating culture from language, saying, you know, we, we don't really want to teach the kids about the culture, which we'll just stick to the language. But that seems to me to ignore the fact that language is cultural in many ways, and it's uh, and and the expressions you learn. When do you say them? When do you not say them? I mean, that's also part of the way you use language. Mm-hmm. Did you find that uh, though that the uh, fusha, the classical Arabic, that we spoke in class, which makes you pretty much understood all over the Arabic-speaking world, but uh, differs from the uh, colloquial Arabic? Did you find that uh, that to be a little jarring? at first, or did you quickly adjust? It's certainly very different than what was spoken in the streets, and because I've traveled to a few different parts of the region, uh, the colloquial dialects differ greatly between them, as I learned. Um, I could understand some, but I had to really practice and work specifically on the colloquial dialect to really be able to converse in it. Um, And when I couldn't speak in in colloquial, or I couldn't come up with the word in colloquial, I would switch to my fusha and learned that you quickly get laughed at when you <laughs> speak fusha when you're talking to someone in the street. Yeah. Um, and I, they appreciated it and certainly humored me and kept talking to me, but it was, yeah. I think it was amusing for them to see. Yeah, and more importantly, I mean, the very fact, I mean, they may have laughed at the fact that you're speaking uh, like Shakespeare in this day and age, but they understood you. And I think that's the thing. People kind of laugh like, wow, she's using this very, uh, um, you know, high style language, but they still understood you. So, you know, laugh as they may, you were able to get around. And of course, uh, you had to ruin your beautiful classical Arabic in the process, which I guess makes you a real person speaking to real people (laughs) in the real streets. Um, Ashley, uh, one of the reasons that you're here at Stanford, you're back at Stanford, uh, is the fact that you participated in something very exciting this week. In fact, I heard yesterday about this, and I saw your picture in the Stanford Daily today. What have you been up to, young lady? I was a delegate for the AMENS Summit. Um, AMENS stands for the American Middle East Network for Dialogue at Stanford. Um, and it, the, the whole, the network as well as the summit, which is what I participated in for the past five days, um, is organized by Stanford undergrads. And it's meant to bring together entrepreneurs from across the Middle East as well as the U.S. and bring them together so that they can share their experiences um, share helpful tips, advice, skills, um, inspiration, and encouragement. And so we've been talking over the Internet through Skype and Google Hangouts um, for the past several months and starting to get to know each other. There were about, I think, 33 delegates, wow. maybe it was 35. Yeah. Um, and so we've, we've been conversing over the Internet, but for the past five days we got to really interact. And it was It was an incredible five days. I was absolutely blown away by the passion that all of the delegates had, 
the excitement that they shared for their own initiatives as well as other initiatives. I personally presented Beyond the Bombs, um, but each of the delegates had their own initiative that they presented to the whole group and and uh, participated in discussions and networking. Um, and there are some incredible young people doing incredible things out there and delegates from as far as way as Afghanistan, as close as at Stanford, mm-hmm. um, and throughout the region. And I, I learned an incredible amount. I made some incredible friends nice. and colleagues that I'm hoping to work with over the next many, many years to come and contribute to their ever- efforts. They'll contribute to mine, and we plan to work together. So it's it, it was a very exciting experience, and it, it got me inspired to, to pursue this even further. Ashley, are you open to contributions or submissions from people who visit beyondthebombs.wordpress.com? I actually am looking for those very, very strongly. Oh, I have a submissions link that you can click on, um, and I'm looking for anything from articles to videos to photos or photo slideshows, as well as audio clips, um, and any sort of content that that addresses the one or more of the three main goals of Beyond the Bombs that I have. Um, The first of those goals is to clarify misconceptions about the region. The second is to showcase aspects of the region that many of us don't typically see in the news, like we talked about earlier, art or culture or entrepreneurship for that Mm -hmm. matter. Mm -hmm. Um, And the third is to humanize what we do see in the headlines, whether it's violence, political tension, or economic hardship. Um, So I am looking for as many contributions as I can get because – the, the more diversity I get on the website, um, the more the visitors will be able to see. Because really, I just I, I'm trying to get them to to open their eyes to life beyond those those casualty counts and and those refugee numbers that we see. Yeah, and uh, we should say that uh, of course your website is not a commercial website at this point. It's a it's no, it's a not. Um, uh, it's a uh, um, how, how would we describe it? A non-commercial website, let's say. Um, and so, in terms of submission, people. If submissions, people can go to the website, download the form, and send you whether it's uh, visual, whether it's audio, whether it's uh, essays, and you'll consider them for publication. And even if it's ideas, send those my way as well. It's it's really an, an open forum right now. I'm trying to create create discussion and create an open space for as many perspectives as I can get. So even if you have an idea for something that you want to create or you maybe don't yet know how to create, I can work with you to put that together and and get your perspective or story or endeavor out on the website. And uh, that kind of uh, enables me to segue into the title of your talk here at Stanford during amends yesterday, uh, Wednesday, the April 17th, your title was Looking Beyond the Bombs and Digitally Bridging the Culture Gap. I love this digitally bridging, you know, this seemingly eternal gap between uh, East and West. Uh, do you find that uh, this gap is being bridged digitally or otherwise, or do you feel that we're going in the wrong direction? I think it depends where you look. Um, you know, like I've said, with, with news headlines, they are typically, um, they look at a lot of the negative stories, which, of course, bad news sells, and bad news is important. 
Um, but, you know, there's a lot of online publications that are talking about the same issues, typically security, political, or military-related issues. But I think with sort of our social media-savvy age and our, our really highly interconnected age, that there's a lot going on that that has been positive, that there's connections through Twitter and through Facebook and through, uh, you know, a million other resources and blogs that, that are making a positive impact. And I think it's hard to see maybe on the surface, but I think that it's going on. And I think it's something that we can really take advantage of. I think now's the time to, to try to do this. And of course, you know, person to person interactions, I think are of course the most important, but this is a really easy way and um, really open way to start building this interaction, this cross-cultural interaction that ultimately can maybe segue into a person-to-person interaction. Absolutely. Ashley Lohman, with young people like you, dynamic, young, energetic, and even optimistic people like you, I think we do stand a chance for a better tomorrow, a better Middle East, and a better, better world at large. Uh, it has been such a pleasure to have you on my show here, Ashley. Who would have known when I was teaching you Arabic and the alphabet and, and, and grammar uh, a couple of years ago that you'd be sitting here, a, an acclaimed journalist, a very dynamic young lady with an amazing website. Uh, so I'm not sure what language to say thank you to you. I'm going to say it in Arabi at first. Shukran jazilan ya Ashley anti. دائما طالبة ممتازة وأنا سعيد جدا أنك حيث أنت عفوا وشكرا لك Shukran. And for those of you who, who didn't understand that, Ashley was very modestly thanking me when I should be thanking her. But that's indicative of the person she is. So, Ashley, um, you know, you're a journalist. You're, you're also the associate editor for the Middle East at the Fair Observer. Uh, you're also, uh, uh, you know, very busy with your website, uh, which, again, is at... Beyondthebombs.wordpress.com. And I hear not for long. So not for long. Soon it's going to be uh, btbombs.com. Great. And do you have an email that you would like to share in case somebody would like to contact you, or is that through the website? It's on the website, but I can also give it here. Sure. It's simply beyondthebombs at gmail.com. And that's actually where all of the submissions go as well. So it's one centralized email address. So proud of you, Yabinti, and uh, so glad we got to have this time together. I know you have to rush, but I want to wish you well, and I know there's a rosy future ahead. You're already forging your way ahead, and I, uh, I guess I uh, want to just say thank you for being the amazing, dynamic young person you are. Ashley, do not be a stranger. Keep us updated on your whereabouts, on your uh, projects, and know that here at the Arabology Show, we have nothing but the utmost respect for you. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been more than a pleasure talking with you about this. Ashley Lohman uh, in the studio. I'm going to go to a beautiful instrumental right now by a group named Jerusalem in My Heart, and it's called which means something like, uh, tell the woman in black. It sounds like a prayer with uh, amazing acoustics, so just kick back, let the music get to you, and uh, get to your heart, I hope, and uh, stay tuned for more music to come during the first hour of Arabology, leading us to my interview, uh, pre-recorded interview with Dam and Omar Ofendam at uh, around 4 p.m. right here on KZSU Stanford 90.1.
FM。Was uh, the group uh, Jerusalem in my heart and uh, a track called "Kull al Malihati bil Khimar al Aswadi"? If you like it, it's taken from their brand new album "Muhit al Muhit," which actually means uh, "surrounding the ocean," um, and uh, that's just a sample of the amazing music we have for you right here on the Arabology Show, coming to you from KZSU Stanford, 90.1 FM, and uh, I'm. Going to be uh, playing more music up till 4 p.m. Uh, this is uh, DJ Ramsey, yours truly, and my very, very special thanks to Ashley Loman, who was my guest live in the studio today, and spoke so eloquently about her uh, website uh, Beyond the Bombs, as well as her experiences not only in the Middle East but also as a student of Arabic right here at Stanford. Let me say, a former student, since of course she's graduated since. Thank you. 
uh, Saffron and uh, a track called Nomad. If you like that kind of music, check out the CD. It's called Dawning, and uh, it, it features uh, Katayun Gudarzi, Kevin Hayes, Shujaat Hussein Khan, Abhiman Kaushal, and Tim Rise all together uh, making uh, Saffron. The uh, CD is called, uh, again, Dawning, and uh, it has these amazing uh, collaborations and uh, amazing uh, tracks by very, very talented musicians who got together and uh, did this sort of musical mashup. It's a marvelous mix of cultures and sounds featuring vocals and sax and piano, sitar, and even, of course, the sound of the tabla, uh, layers of uh, Indian classical music, jazz rifts, and the Persian poetry of Rumi is featured. Each artist on the CD uh, contributes a great deal towards the amazing sound, and uh, certainly it's a CD that is one of our favorites here on the Arabology Show. I'm your DJ Ramsey, and uh, I uh, am attempting, as with every week, to take you through distant lands and uh, through uh, what was uh, loosely called the Arabian Peninsula to bring you a different taste of the region through music, through culture, and through interviews, both live and pre-recorded. Uh, before Saffron, ladies and gentlemen, you heard the Orchestra Arab de Barcelona, and uh, from their album Libertad, which translates as Freedom, we uh, heard uh, a really good track named Maghribiya. Uh, it had that kind of Gnawa uh, sound, and of course, uh, that's a kind of uh, genre very famous and uh, popular in North Africa, and especially in uh, Morocco and Algeria, in the Maghreb, and uh, the song was uh, appropriately titled Maghribiya, which means Moroccan girl. Well, before that, it was uh, truly uh, uh, an amazing tribute to uh, an amazing lady by another amazing lady. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm referring to the song by Rima Khshesh, the Lebanese musician, called Marhaptain. But that song and that whole album, actually, from which this song is taken, uh, is are a live tribute to the Lebanese ageless diva Sabah. Uh, if anybody uh, lived in the Middle East or in the Arab world for even a short time, you probably caught Sabah on TV. She's known uh, for her extravagant uh, outfits, uh, her uh, dyed blonde hair, and the fact that she had, well, let's say several husbands, several divorces, and uh, continues to sing even today. I think she's probably approaching her 100th year. Uh, so I guess in an attempt to keep Sabah's music alive to a whole new generation, uh, young, talented musician Rima Marchesh decided to take many of Sabah's uh, songs and re-record them with a style of their own, of her own, and uh, that is, th these are the tracks included on Rima Marchesh's new uh, album uh, called Min Sihra Ayunak, Min Sihra Ayunak, sorry, The Magic of Your Eyes, a live tribute to Sabah from that album we heard the song Marhaptain and Marhaptain means hello twice over. We began the set with uh, the Egyptian project, a song called Bisharis from the album Ya Amar and uh, that, ladies and gentlemen is just a sample of the amazing music coming out of the Arab region and the Middle East uh, at large. 
Uh, ladies and gentlemen, here's a quick PSA. Meningitis can strike anyone, anywhere, at any time. Health officials recommend vaccination for all ad adolescents 11 through 18 years of age, especially college freshmen living in dorms, because they're at increased risk of contracting the disease. The National Meningitis Association says don't wait, vaccinate. Contact your healthcare provider or visit nmaus.org. That's nmaus.org. And uh, another quick promo here, ladies and gentlemen, that, at sa that Saturdays at 6 p.m., the hosts of We Heart Art sit down with Stanford student artists to explore their current endeavors. You should think of We Heart Art as your inside look at the often brilliant, inspired, zany, beautiful, absurd, and always original art scene on the Stanford campus. Don't miss We Heart Art, an interesting hour of radio, Saturdays at 6 p.m. right here on KZSU Stanford, 90.1 FM. It is uh, coming up to 4 p.m. Uh, right here, which means that almost half of today's Arabology show has already gone by. And uh, well, the second part, uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to take you on another kind of journey, one that takes you through the globalization of hip-hop in the Arab world. And I'm going to do that through a pre-recorded interview with two amazing uh, artists. Uh, one is a group, the group Dam, and the other one is a Syrian-American rapper, artist, hip-hop, uh, extraordinaire poet. I don't know how many uh, uh, more uh, professions I can uh, <laughs> uh, I can attribute to him, but it's of course young Omar Ofendam. And uh, I had the pleasure actually of moderating an event uh, on the Stanford campus uh, a couple of weeks ago that included both Dam and uh, Omar Ofendam. And we're going to be playing excerpts from that uh, amazing event uh, which took place uh, right here on the Stanford campus. So that will be at around 4 p.m., taking us into the second hour of the Arabology show, the show that comes to you every week on Thursdays from 3 to 5 p.m. and uh, streams live, as do all shows here at the station, at kzsulive.stanford.edu. I am your DJ Ramsey, and uh, before we go to the pre-recorded interview that I just promised you. How about checking out an amazing work by Michel Sajrawi, who uh, is uh, sort of has, has contributed a lot towards the genre of uh, quote-unquote oriental jazz. Sajrawi coined the term Arapop for his fusion of Arabic and bebop sounds, and uh, he hails from Nazareth. Uh, he's accompanied by an Arab-Jewish ensemble, uh, including uh, saxophonists uh, Amiram Grano and Mali Klar, Oudist uh, Samir Mahoul, percussionist Wissam Aram, Valerie Lip Lippitz on contrabass, and uh, Stas Lieberman on drum. 
drums, put them all together, and uh, you've got an amazing CD uh, released by Michel Sajrawi called Arapop from this uh, brand new album. Uh, let's uh, listen to a song called Yalil, and if you listen closely, you'll be able to hear the chant by Samir Mahul on this amazing track, taking us into the second tra- second part of the Arabology show coming to you this week and every week right here on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. Thank you. 
The track uh, called Ya Leil, taken uh, from uh, the amazing album by uh, Michel Sajrawi. The album's name is Arapop, and uh, the uh, track you heard, Ya Leil, means Oh Night, so uh, it's an ode to the night, I guess. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a little bit after 4 p.m. right here on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. I am your DJ Ramsey, and the show is Arabology. And for the second part of today's show, I am uh, uh, inviting you to uh, listen in on a pre-recorded interview that was taken from a recent Stanford event titled The Globalization of Hip Hop. That uh, event took place right here at uh, Robley at Stanford and included uh, uh, the spotlight on... Uh, on uh, two amazing uh, hip-hop artists coming in from the Arab world, and uh, one of them is Omar Ofendam, who is a Syrian-American uh, uh, artist, and uh, also the Palestinian hip-hop group uh, DAM, spelled D-A-M, and uh, they actually performed in concert right here at Stanford right after they gave this uh, well, lengthy interview that was uh, publicly uh, broadcast uh, to the student body here at Stanford. Uh, they, were, they had a full house, I can tell you, and uh, people seemed to enjoy the uh, interview section as much as uh, they enjoyed uh, the uh, musical uh, segments as well. So uh, the event was, of course, organized by a Stanford student, Farah Wihiba, or Farah as she's known, and included uh, um, the group Dam, the uh, Syrian-American rapper uh, Omar Ofendam, and was moderated by yours truly, uh, DJ Ramsey. And so let's go right to that and listen to the first part of that interview that has been pre-recorded uh, off the stage. So uh, hope, hopefully the audio quality will live up to the original in any case. Uh, uh, here is uh, part one of the interview that I conducted with uh, both uh, Dam and Omar Ofendam right here at Stanford. Uh, enjoy it, and I'll be back after the first part to uh, speak to you some more about Arabia. Uh, thank you so much for being here tonight. And I'd like to give a shout-out to our co-sponsors. There are many of them. Uh, Murray House, Comparative Studies and Race and Ethnicity Department. Uh, Muslim Students Awareness Network, the Ooh. Residential Education Department, uh, Cardinal Knights, uh, the Rydell Fund, the Sahib and Sarah Abbasi Program in Islamic Studies, uh, Stanford uh, Students for Palestinian Equal Rights, and Stanford Says No to War. 
also quite the light. Thank you. Let me tell you a little bit about uh, who we've got up for you tonight. Um, first of all, I'm Farah Kuhiba, or Farah, and uh, I'm a focus assistant in Murray House. Thank you. Um, and uh, we're really excited to have some very special guests with us today. We have Almar Afendam, uh, a, a, a Syrian-American rapper, and we have Dam, uh, a Palestinian uh, group. Uh, and and uh, it's also featuring uh, DJ Emancipation. And uh, we're also going to have uh, an interview. So let me tell you kind of the agenda of how things are going to be broken up today. So uh, we're going to have first a live interview with uh, Dr. Ramzi Salti. He is the uh, an, a lecturer in the Arabic department. And uh, he has a radio show uh, called Arabology on KZSU. Uh, and that's on every Thursday. Uh, he's going to be uh, doing, uh, conducting a live interview and discussion with Amara Fandam and uh, our three members of them, Tamer, Sohel, and Mahmoud. Um, and, uh, and then we're going to uh, leave it up to you guys to, to ask some questions for 15 minutes, uh, whatever you'd like to know about uh, the globalization of hip-hop. Anything, any burning questions you've ever had about the globalization of hip hop, this is your moment to shine. And um, afterwards, we're going to kick everybody out for 15 minutes and rearrange the stage for performances. Um, we're going to ask you to um, enjoy some delicious baklava uh, in the back room there. That's all set up and ready for you. And we'll call you back in at about 9.35 to uh, start the concert portion of the show. And uh, what I really hope is for everybody to get down offended tonight. <laughs> so, um, so let me tell you a little bit about our artists. So um, I have a little narrative for you to, sh to, to share about Omar Fandom and the impact of uh, Syriana Americana in my life. Um, so about two years ago, uh, Professor Sami Aline in the uh, CSRE department uh, I was in his class uh, called um, Politics of Hip-Hop Youth Engagement, something very long title, but basically it was about hip-hop in academia and the globalization of hip-hop. And I was his student, and he was uh, first to introduce me to the music of Omar Afandam. And um, I grew up in Kansas. I'm Egyptian-American, and I grew up in Kansas, and I didn't know that there was a space for me to uh, be biculturally fluent or even bilingual, and not have to compromise one of the two identities. And uh, Alma was my first kind of example of seeing that happen, and that was a very special moment for me. Um, so, you know, I started, and, and that was part of uh, Brooklyn Beats to Beirut Streets. Um, Mike Gonzalez, Alma Fundam, and Ragtop came out to the Coho. And um, from that, from a Fundam's visit, I learned more um, than, than just to appreciate hip-hop. Um, I... I learned more about my Arab-American identity and the state of internal-external conflict in two hours than in any public policy, social psychology, or international relations course um, that I'd ever taken. I was highly offended. <laughs> and I hope the same happens for you tonight. So, you know, I started asking questions like, who is the narcissist? What is a Lupe fiasco? And uh, there's a world beyond techno? Most F there is. So, thank you so much. Thanks for putting up all my puns. And I uh, hope you enjoy the show tonight. 
first, we're going to, um, oh, and DJ, by the way, is the lovely DJ Emancipacion. And um, she's a Christian DJ based in Oakland. And um, you can go out to her parties every um, first, sun second Sunday of every month. Um, and uh, she went to school here. She was a Stanford alumna. Yeah. And uh, so, but leaving the, the interview portion of the show is going to be uh, Dr. Ramzi Salti. So I'm going to welcome everybody. So at this time, I'd like to welcome Tamer, Mahmoud, Omar. to see everybody here. I'm Ramzi Salte. I've been teaching Arabic here for 15 years, which technically makes me, I think, yes, the oldest person in the room. Uh, I think half the audience, I've taught Arabic, the other half, by the end of tonight, you'll be taking my Arabic class. So start signing up. It's so nice to see everybody here. And uh, as you, as Farah said, I also have a radio show called Arabology on KZSU. And uh, that show was, you know, one of the first shows to actually highlight something called Arabic hip-hop. Because like a lot of people who come from the Arab world, I didn't know that there was such a thing as Arab hip-hop. I thought, you know, this is purely a Western notion. And the globalization of hip-hop has been amazing. And here I am, a 40-some-year-old guy who's like addicted to Arabic hip-hop. So it tells you that it can reach anybody from any background at any time. And uh, truly, to me, when uh, some of my, let's say, more elitist uh, colleagues uh, at Stanford heard about me being involved with the uh, tradition and modernity globalization of hip-hop uh, with the spotlight on the Middle East today, they were like, what, you think you're 20? You think... And, uh, and I said, no, if you really listen to hip-hop, it doesn't really matter what age you are, number one. Number two, this is poetry. This is exactly what poetry used to do to people. I think it moves uh, people when you listen to them. I remember hearing Omar's Offendum's uh, and just the, the, the way it was presented got me addicted to the song. It got me to look into his work. And of course, then that English translation, I suddenly became very cool. I started using gestures in class. And, and then to talk about uh, the group down, because to me, you know, I don't know if this is too relevant, but I don't have kids. So to me, when I see this younger generation of what could be my kids doing such amazing stuff, <laughs> I paid them before to, to make me feel young. And, you know. uh, but, uh, but seriously, the kind of impact they've had, these are not uh, uh, kids or young men who grew up with the easiest life. And uh, to actually uh, take to music and sing despite circumstances that can be very, very difficult, it's, uh, it's just surviving that uh, and then turning it into an artistic art form is... I think, uh, a, a, a victory of its own. So, Alan was Alan Bikom, the Jan Stanford. 
and uh, I'm going to be uh, asking maybe some general questions uh, that maybe some of you or most of you would like to know, but I'm not going to delete the whole thing because we're going to turn it over to questions from you as well. Uh, this is your chance to ask them anything you want. I spoke to all four of them. They said you can ask anything, so you don't have to censor yourself tonight. We're happy to do that. Um, so uh, I, I don't know if you want me to sit down or stay up here. So uh, let me begin by asking maybe them about the name because there's a lot of debate. Does it mean blood in Arabic? Does it stand for something? How did you come up with the name? Uh, first of all, I would like to say thank you for having us. First of all. And then, uh, for me personally, I don't want to answer this question first. Oh. <laughs> I want to just say something. It's really emotional for me to be here on like a table having them and Omar and Ramzi same time. Because unfortunately, we can't have this thing in Palestine. We can't have this in Syria. We can't. He can come to Palestine and we can go to Syria and he can. So it's like really kind of con confusing, confusing uh, emotional things for me. And, uh, and now I'll get to the question. Uh, Dam uh, stands for Daem, Daiman, Immortal, Eternity. And uh, you can, in Hebrew, it's blood, if it's without day. And in English, it's the Arabian MCs. And so uh, we mixed it all together, just trying to act deep, like we're really smart. But <laughs> so we say, even if we see blood, the Arabian MCs will stay eternal. The Arabian MCs will be immortal. And who came up with the name? Was it all three of you? The name at the beginning came of Dan from Damian. Ah, ah. And just <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, because it sounded cool when we were teenagers, but during time we started doing shows at universities and we sounded stupid, so we <laughs> had to find a, a good, me uh, a good uh, meaning. Uh, but at the beginning it was just Dan. Yeah, Dan from eternity, it, it has a lot of uh, uh, bad. If somebody says that hip-hop is something that will pass, no, as art artistically will stay here forever. So, it, you know, it's it just... It's it suits every occasion, I guess. Uh, and let me ask the same of Omar. Omar for Fandom... Yeah. It's a great week at that name. I mean, it sticks with you, I'll tell you that. I, uh... Man, Fandom... It was like a stroke of genius when I was like 17. I wish I had like really any more depth to it. But basically, uh, I was part of a hip-hop crew when I first started. I was in college. Me and a Sudanese friend of mine I grew up with called the Nomads. Notoriously offensive male Arabs disgusting. Shh. <laughs> you know, when I was growing up, um, you know, when I would act up around the house or whatever, my mom would call me Afendi. I'm with Afendi. For those who don't know, Afendi is a like a, it's like a, a title of nobility or a ranking within Ottoman culture and Turkish culture. So it's like saying sir or lord. And Afendim is the possessive form. So often in uh, the Middle East, whether it's Turkey or even Egypt, uh, you know people say Afendim out of respect to you. Um, and me spelling it with an O obviously was with the intention of conjuring up offensive imagery here in the States, offend him, you know, oh, he's going to offend us, when in reality it actually means something very kind of noble and respectful. So for the name to embody 
the disconnect that happens there linguistically between you know, something over there and something here uh, was really important to me because it in itself was a conversation starter. Uh, and then just on a personal note, my mother's uh, grandfather was Turkish. His name was Omar, he's the one I was named after, and he was actually Effendi, Omar Effendi. So that's kind of where it came from. So he, he lives on through your music. Yeah, I don't know what he would think about my music. <laughs> I've seen one picture of him. It was like an old black and white photo. He had a big, long, curly mustache. <laughs> big, scary guy. Like, mm, nice beat, fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, maybe I should... Uh, yeah, revisit that. Revisit uh, that. We'll so for, for the group them, I don't know if you guys know, but they have two albums, officially released albums. They've been involved in many other things. The first one is called Ehda, which means dedication. And the second one that's brand new and that's playing on KZSU like every other hour <laughs> is called Nubbuk al Omar, Dabke on the Moon. Can you tell us how the first album came about and how different the second album is from the first one? Well, for, first album dedication was out 2006, uh, the end of 2006, the beginning of 2007. Um, it was a very, very clear, obvious, direct message that we wanted to, live, to deliver. So it was like shooting a documentary film, but musically, mm -hmm. doing it in, in dedication. And this is what we did. It had social, political, personal songs. Um, it actually had more social songs than political songs, but because we come from Palestine, uh, so everyone is concentrating on the political side, though the album wasn't, uh, if, if I need to call it a, a political album, I wouldn't call it a political album. Uh, that on the Moon is much different. We worked with, the first one we worked with different producer, and the second one we worked with another producers who are coming from the pop world with a famous producer from, from Denmark, because we wanted to try and to experience new things in our music. And it was more as a feature, if I want to describe it as a feature film. Yeah, it's just telling stories. We, we, we did this album and we told stories. We told stories of uh, prisoners, we told stories of, uh, of uh, women's, women's, women that are killed uh, uh, under the name of, of honor killing. And that was Dabke on the Moon. It was very, I don't know if to call it uh, mainstream uh, music, but it was definitely different than the Dedication album. We just tried to experience a new thing musically and also lyrically. Uh, which brings me to this question about this, uh, the song Law Arja Zaman. If I could go back in time, which I believe Amal Murkos uh, participated. I don't know if you guys have seen this video. It's a really powerful video about honor killings and uh, something that takes place uh, in some parts of the Arab world and uh, which, in my opinion, is a very shameful practice. Uh, that was a very gutsy move on your part. And I'm going to be frank with you, not everybody uh, supported uh, that video. A lot of people, including like, like, I don't know if you've read on Jadalia, they, you were kind of criticized for maybe further demonizing uh, the Arabs and Islam at a time where the West seems to be doing that so systematically. But at the same time, when you watch the video, you're moved by the fact that so many women have been silenced, have been killed for something as simple as, uh, you know, the very rumor that they have lost their quote-unquote honor, uh, even in this day and age. 
Uh, how problematic has that been for you to, to be received with high praise and high criticism? Uh, I'll try to make it short, uh, but it's, it's, um, it's a big one. It is a big one, yeah. Uh, uh, first of all, reactions I had, uh, you know, the Jadaliya thing, it was from two women who lives in, in the U.S. in the Western world. They didn't like it, I will get to that later. But most of the girls in Lid, where I live, they... I remember, I remember Sir Mahmoud, when we did it in Ramallah, the, the, the first preview in Ramallah, Women in the crowd start crying, and I'm talking mm -hmm. about, uh, and, and it was about them, not about people who are, it's about them, not about, pe that's how it started, not about people who are living in the West, because I consider it honor killing, it's my, my problem, and me as an Arab male, I want to face it and say it's my fault, I want to fix it now, and I think it so reflects the new, the, 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 the Arab Spring, it came with the Arab Spring, the, the millions got out to, to change, the way they live. So I think it uh, it's a shame that they thought that way. This is one. Second, funny thing, when I wrote that, we live in Lid. Lid have at least 15, 16 murders over honor killing. And girls we know, over the rumor of sex, and even if they had, you know what, I'm going to take it for, even if they had sex and orgies, I don't think it's a, it's a reason, Yanni. Yanni, if you want to, if you want to go, uh, if you want to go that way, I think that uh, there's a, a funny part with Adi Imam. Uh, the same, if you want to kill them, most of the men will be dead today because we do worse than that. Yeah. Uh, this is not so. It's women we know, it's girls we know. If we didn't know the women, we knew the guy who killed them. So we lived that. And I think it's about time to end. So when I wrote that song, when we wrote that song, I saw, I wrote it to the Arab women. Mm. And I had a call to do a, a phone with an Israeli, uh, Israeli radio, and the host was, uh, we have banned the dad, the new single, it's about uh, honor killing. And just to remind you people, only this week two women were killed, and she mentioned two Israeli Jewish names. Mm -hmm. So it's beyond. It's, yes. it's against women, and it's, it's about against the violence against women in general. Uh, one last thing that I have actually, I would answer, but I forgot, but one second. You mentioned the two women here in the States. I, I, I think, yeah, something with, uh, with, with, and I can understand that the West, a lot of Western people see us as bad people, evil people, and, and a lot of Arabs from the outside see us as these Arabs, brave Palestinians, and, and, and if they see us only this and only this, then, then that makes us unhuman. And yeah, if these two women keep, they want us to, see, they want us just to be. This beautiful, handsome Palestinian Mukawa um, uh, that fights only the Israelis, then it's not it. It's, we are also a society. Each society has its problems. And if I'm, I'm, if I'm uh, brave enough to face it, then that means I'm talking about a new generation. And I think that you should buy a mirror, put it in your house, and also, you know, sorry for the long answer. No, 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 but that's exactly <laughs> There's a domestic violence everywhere, yeah. and it's something known. And uh, us, uh, us as uh, kids who started rapping uh, political stuff, and uh, then suddenly, when you go to, to protests in Palestine or protests in my city, when there's a, a demolishing houses, suddenly you see people in the in the protest walking with you in a protest that you organized, and they're telling you that they came to this protest because of our songs, and this is how they got, they got the knowledge for the political reason. So I think we have to do that too. Yeah. I think we have to give knowledge. If we have influence, 
uh, with this part, we have to give it other influence. And if them would be just singing politics and just singing about Palestine and not singing social stuff and not singing even fun stuff or just hip hop or just having fun, we're really bad and not human and we're fake and we're using the political situation and we're using Palestine and this and we're using the dead people who have been dying and fighting. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be that person who's using using just what I'm coming from. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to include Omar in this because, you know, we're talking maybe about uh, resistance being sort of what's expected. It's always resistance literature, resistance lyrics. There are Palestinian groups. All their songs have to be about Palestine. And if they segue into women's rights or uh, women's honor uh, killings, uh, they get sometimes criticized, as we saw. Do you feel that hip-hop, in terms of the globalization and in terms of your own music, has grown to encompass more topics and broaches more subjects than what uh, initially used to happen? Uh, well, yeah, first of, first of all, yes, I guess that's the short answer. But um, what I actually wanted to, I wanted to ask the guys, just something art, artistic and stylistic about the song. What made you want to write it backwards, that you did? Hmm. If for those who aren't familiar with it, it's a song about, you know, I guess you could say it's a song about honor killings, but they actually wrote it uh, as a narrative that starts at the very end where she gets killed and then it actually works backwards. Nas did a song like that a, yeah. like a while ago, yeah. I, I would say that we are very influenced by Nas. And yes, when, when we thought of it, Nas was out of dance. He was, okay. Definitely, you want it's an amazing song, yeah. Uh, why? Uh, I think that when a woman get killed, just take the body, I mean, it's like a race, when a car will have an accident, just remove it and continue the life. Uh, and yeah, I mean, they don't, and even sometimes if she, uh, the father rushes to the hospital just to bring the, and, and she had that she was a virgin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and that's it, just to prove that she died, she was... And that's it, it stops. So we decided that it stops here, why? Let's go back, let's go back, let's go back. She died, she was named the, the, the word that I said. Uh, and so I want to go backwards to see where she did wrong, where she did wrong. Was it here, was it here, was it here, was it here, was it here? And, and, and it ends, it starts with her death, and it ends when, when we know what she did wrong, when the doctor says, you got a girl. And because when, you, when you're a girl, uh, in Arab society, I will not try to make it something universal, because especially in UN, Nayani, in an Arab society, then you are uh, uh, guilty until you are proven innocent. Mm. Mm. That's why I want that way.
كانت تحلم نعكس حياتها علينا بركا نفهم عارب الساعة تتحرك من اليمين لليسار بتراجع خطواتها مثل اللي تاهب المصار ما جاهزة كم من قرش للتاكسي تذكر وجوى السفر تحت الوسادة الجواب خلي الأوعي بالخزانة تلبس حياة جديدة وإذا سألوها لعيش الحبيبة مستأذنك اليوم قامت عن إطار وأكلت منيح مجبورة تمثل اليوم الأنف وقف نزيفه لكن بيين لهم بس الجرح طري قبل ما يتبوها مثلهم همها عتبتها حياتك جنة صدق لما تدوق الممنوع مش إشي بتخبى سيرتين قبل العشاء سما انطرها with her beautiful vocals that uh, track if I go back if I could go back in time in Arabic it's talks about a very controversial and tragic issue that often that sometimes happens in the Arab world where uh, some uh, young women are killed because uh, they are believed to have tainted the honor of the family a really sad reality that the group uh, dam decided to broach in their music and if you were to see the video uh, from this song if I could go back in time you would see a beautiful uh, tribute to uh, all these women who died so needlessly and violently and the video features a woman going backwards in time to the day she she was born, and it, it touches on uh, matters related to uh, tribal thinking, to, uh, to women's rights, of course, and uh, to the outdated uh, 
a way of thinking that attempts to uh, uh, bring uh, Arab society uh, backwards instead of forwards. Anyway, thank you to the group, Dam, and to Omar Offendum. We were listening to part one of my pre-recorded interview with them, an interview that took place right here at uh, Stanford on April 6th as part of the tradition and modernity globalization of hip-hop spotlighting Offendum and Dam. The event was organized by Farah Wahiba. It was moderated by yours truly, and it included live interviews with Omar Offendum and members of Dam. The concert that followed featured DJ Emancipacion, and uh, this whole event took place at Murray House. Uh, CR, uh, sorry, it was uh, co-sponsored, co-sponsored by Murray House, CSRE, MSAN, Residential Education, Cardinal Knights, Rydell Fund, and the Abbasi Program in uh, Islamic Studies, plus SSNW and SPE. All of them came together to sponsor this event that uh, aired uh, live, of course, uh, at Robley on April 6, 2013, right here at Stanford. My very special thanks to Dam and Omar Offendum for being uh, uh, amazing artists and for uh, uh, giving us the time to do the interview that I'm broadcasting uh, uh, in segments on uh, today's episode of Herbology. My name is DJ Ramsey, and I come to you every Thursday with uh, the Herbology show, where uh, the show that attempts to, uh, I guess, get rid of stereotypes uh, of uh, people from the Arab world through uh, uh, music and through uh, showcasing uh, uh, cultural productions that uh, hopefully will uh, astound you. Uh, if you're interested in this kind of music, uh, or in the interviews, or in anything else, feel free to visit uh, the show's uh, Facebook page at facebook.com slash Arabology. Let me know what you like, what you don't like, and uh, we will uh, tailor the show accordingly. Tradition and Modernity globalization of hip-hop, spotlighting uh, Omar Ofendam and Dam. Here's part two of uh, my interview, pre-recorded, that is, with uh, both uh, Dam and Omar Ofendam, coming to you right here on the Arabology Show from KZSU Stanford, 90.1 FM. Now, uh, this next question is a little emotional because we spoke before uh, the show, and I was trying to tell all four of these amazing young men here how their music has a profound impact on people, you know, despite the generations and, uh, and the language barrier sometimes. It's just accessible, it speaks to you. And we spoke of a young man who uh, unfortunately passed away, who was a huge uh, fan of uh, them, and who always listened to that album like nonstop. And I just remember him always saying, it makes you feel better, they understand, that their music speaks to me, you cannot find that. Uh, and unfortunately, he was in Jordan, and we did, he, didn't, he didn't have maybe much access to uh, rap music in Arabic. How, how do you guys feel when you know that you're moving people so deeply and that you're speaking to the experiences of people, not just in Palestine, but all over the Arab world, people who are marginalized, who are uh, oppressed, uh, can relate through your music to what you're going through? Holy shell, Lord, come on. Come on, please. 
I think because me coming from from a place that it is uh, very hard uh, that have a uh, big poverty problem and big drug problem uh, and of course a huge political problem as you know um, when I speak when I speak about my neighborhood when I speak about my poverty when I speak about the uh, Arab on Arab crimes, or police on Arab crime, or soldiers on Palestinian crime Arab against Arabs. Uh, when I speak about the right of uh, the return for the Palestinian refugees, then of course I will affect many people that feel or live the same thing that I live, because they feel connected to my message, they feel connected to my lyrics, and, and they can put themselves uh, in that song in different ways. And the funny thing, I was also was affected in the beginning by, by Tupac, and I was, affected, but I was affected by him from images, because I, I only saw the images, I didn't understand English back then, but I saw the neighborhood, and I saw the poverty, and I saw the, that he talked about political problems, and I felt connected to that music because he talked to me. So I guess it is the same thing when you are talking about issues that, that they are real, and they are happening, then people will feel connected to you and connected to your message and to what you are trying to do. Yeah. Now, in terms of reception, though, you know, you're, um, do you feel that you have more, uh, I don't want to say better reception, but are you more accepted in the Arab world, in the West, or in, let's say, Lid, where you have a, a very different kind of population that you can speak to directly? Um, I, I wouldn't know how to measure it, but it, if I measure it by concerts, it's my third time in Stanford, and I only had one show in Lid. I did 20 shows in Paris, and I only had one show in Lid. But just that, it's beyond that. I had 30 shows in, in, in New York, I only had one show in Amman. Uh, why is that, Amir? I, mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, I would at the beginning. I think it's the Israeli passport. I have an Israeli passport, um, and I don't get invited to Israeli festivals because I'm a Palestinian, and I don't get invited to uh, Arabic festivals because I'm, I'm an Israeli. So I mean that uh, uh, some kind of a schizophrenia that they, they decided that I don't have. <laughs> Uh, I would say that's my main problem. I, I would call it discrimination, Yanni. And in general, I think alternative music, um, before it becomes mainstream, I think hip-hop, when it started as hip-hop, rock and roll, when it started as rock and roll, it just takes time until mm -hmm. it proves its spot. Also, so it's also the evolution of the alternative music and the new uh, evolutionary music, plus an Israeli passport. I guess that's my... Yeah, because I guess, uh, you know, maybe we're taking this for granted, but many Arab countries will not let people mm. with an Israeli passport even perform. But we're speaking about, you know, a Palestinian group here, the first <laughs> hip-hop group from the area who are affecting change in this area. Yeah, but a place like Syria or a place like Algeria I cannot go because there are no embassies. I mean, Egypt, yeah, I mean, see, not, they have, yeah, I'm talking about before the revolution, yeah, I mean, but they have, they have embassies, they have business together, but when it comes, and nobody, uh, not many people will uh, uh, criticize, criticize that. But when an Egyptian uh, singer 
decides to do something with a guy from Palestine 48, everybody starts saying betraying the Tatbiya. So it's easier to attack the. Uh, right. And if he hypocrisy, can I down on my No, absolutely, because you said that you felt, you know, that there was hypocrisy. There's a double hypocrisy going on because you can't, you know, you're, you're seen as a Palestinian in Israel, so you're the other and you're different. And then you go to the Arab world, and suddenly, instead of being embraced for the bravery you're showing through your lyrics, you're actually. Just yeah. to be clear, I'm talking about institutions, basically. Yeah. the people who's bringing to doing the festival because when it comes to people I think that's the beautiful thing about hip hop sorry that's not that yes. yani, uh, Palestinian Arabic music existed from Adesh yani, a long time ago uh, and have you ever heard of a duet between uh, yani I can remember I can count on my hand five duets I remember in the Arabic world hip hop how many songs do you have with Egyptian in Sinoma? How many songs do you have with the Iraqis? How many songs do you have with... We have that song together and I said that line that you will not find Arab in the same spot on that beat except in Guantanamo maybe. <laughs> because I think that hip-hop, when hip-hop came, that's the beautiful thing about hip-hop. Not just... I don't want to make it just political and, and deep and Middle East. Even just grab a, a, a Lil Wayne album that had no... You can see the break, you can see the featuring. Look, it's, 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 a, it's a unity music, you know. If you unity, you and I had the chance to work with Lebanese, Lebanese, and the Reyes Bid, Majazai, people yani, who are the enemy, yani, according to my passport. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, that's why I love that music, it's so united. The world featuring, it's, it's a revolutionary world in the hip hop world. Well, if it's any comfort, I mean, I, I was in uh, Beirut and I was in Amman uh, last year, and I interviewed groups like uh, Mashur Leila. And, uh, and groups, you know, Reyes Beg, Zayn Hamdan, others. And the people were always talking about, why, you know, Dan can't come here. They cannot perform in Beirut, but the people want it. I mean, the, the, the audiences are there, and thanks to the internet, are able to tune in. So we're talking about maybe a sad reality that you, the demand is there, the thirst for you guys is there. It's just this bureaucratic issue that stops you from actually performing live to people who need it. We had suggested to go into Lebanon that they will organize something for us to go in somehow and to perform there. And uh, But Lebanese will accept us, even if it's the government. We would get in, we can. But then when we go back home, we, will, we won't go back home. We'll go to the Israeli jails. We'll be arrested. Yeah, I don't know what I'm going into Lebanon. He's a famous writer. He had that uh, website, Kalita. Uh, he's a Palestinian carrying the Israeli passport. And he had this invitation because he released a book, uh, My Secret, uh, uh, my secret uh, Affair with uh, Carla Bruni. Uh, it's a funny book. He describes that she comes to Palestine wearing hijab so no one will recognize him or she's having sex with him. Anyway, it's a funny book. Anyway, he was invited to do uh, this festival, uh, this Mu'tamar uh, in Lebanon. A conference for literary people. Yeah, and dude thought of something smart. He applied for the Bagats. You know the Bagats? No, no, the high court. That's the high school, the Israeli high school. Oh, okay. He applied and he asked, it's not weapons, it's nothing political, it's just art. And it went on like a month or two, and they agreed that he will go there. And uh, the Lebanese people agreed to accept him. And he didn't go. He was, he was like, I just did it for the point. I, uh, <laughs> I, 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 it's complicated, yeah. But, you know, yeah. Uh, one last point about this, because we had uh, Sayyid Qasur uh, 
couple of weeks ago, and uh, he gave some talks here. Of course, he's yes at Stanford, and and he uh, he writes this uh, TV series for Israeli TV called Arab Labor, and uh, and you know he was also talking about you know his frustration about being you know pigeonholed and not being able to to translate. So you you guys are right in the footsteps of somebody who was saying the same thing and. The situation definitely should change. Uh, uh, yes, I was going to say. You, do you guys know that they did the uh, the soundtrack "Rayer uh, Bukra," which means "Change Tomorrow," and it's with children, right? Uh, they're like children uh, singing. Yeah. They, they were children, not anymore. Uh, when it was a long time ago when we did the dedication, and they are children from our neighborhood. And we have children. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so old, suddenly. <laughs> These guys are talking about, you know, going off, bringing our music. Uh, Omar, your music, though, doesn't have to, doesn't face the same censorship, do you think, in the Arab world? You're able to perform anywhere? Do you, do you see when you're you know, traveling? Things changed drastically for me in the last two years, just given what's happening in Syria. I, first of all, I mean, I, I, I was born a Syrian citizen before I became nationalized as an American. And in Syria, the second you go back to Syria, they don't care where you think you're from, you're Syrian. You could have a Syrian great-grandfather, and they want you to serve in the army. So uh, I could actually never go to Philistine growing up, and something I always wanted to do, but the way that the laws are set up, obviously, if they ever found out, I would never be allowed back into Syria, I couldn't go see my family, and so that's just not a possibility. So I can somewhat relate, you know, to what you guys are talking about. But uh, uh, what's interesting, though, is that, like, obviously with the Syrian revolution, I'm, uh, I'm not allowed to go back into Syria now because of what I said on that song. So... Uh, that's a whole irony in and of itself because I was born in Saudi Arabia and I'm not allowed to go back to this country that I was never, I never lived in anyway. So, interesting. But uh, when I go to places like the Gulf, like in Dubai, for example, to go do a show there, I get very, very clear orders to not perform, uh, not even just political content, specifically this one song, because in the hook of the song, they're saying, the people want to topple the regime. And uh, even though it's entirely about the Syrian situation, it has nothing to do with the, the Gulf, they don't even want people just in thinking that they can even say that out loud, you know? Uh, there were um, Guy Fox t-shirts that were made, like, with kind of a uh, Syrian flag on them, uh, and those were strictly banned in the UAE, you're not allowed, nobody's allowed to wear any Guy Fox memorabilia, or you'll get apprehended. So, I mean, it's real. And then I got invited to go perform in, in Qatar, and I assume because of Qatar's Presumed, presumed stance on what's happening in Syria and kind of support for the revolution, that I would have a blank check, to, or not a blank check, but, you know, free range to say whatever I wanted. And um, halfway through performing this one song, I noticed that there were some local Qatari guys who were wearing, like, the tra traditional Qatari dress who enjoyed it and were, like, chanting along. And as I was doing it, and there was, there was maybe, like, 500 people there or something, and there was, like, maybe three or four Qataris in their local dress chanting the song and enjoying it. And as I was doing it, I looked at them and I was like, oh, that's going to be a problem. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> sure enough, like right afterwards, I got uh, a warning saying, you know, you're not allowed to do that. Well, what song was that? The Shabiri, the Spatanilam, the people want to talk about the regime. And just for so people who know, like this particular phrase, the people want to talk about the regime, this started in Tunisia and then it moved into Egypt and to Libya and it was spray painted on the wall in Syria and that's what ended up sparking the revolution. And 
which was a very heated kind of thing, and uh, in the Gulf especially, you know. So it even shows you how in the Middle East, I mean, we here in the West, especially in the media, they kind of paint it as this just like one, you know, big blob of, of the Middle East, but it's, it's so different from one country to another. Yeah. But it reminds me, there's like an old Family Guy episode, I think, where they're flying over the Middle East, and he looks through the window, and it looks like a map of the Middle East that you'd see in like your old textbook, and he's like, oh, it really looks like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not, you know, it's so different from one place to another. Life is so different, and the things people experience are so different. And you can be thousands of miles away from one of the most horrific, bloodiest, you know, uh, disasters ever taking place on planet Earth and have no idea you'd be in a bubble and just, you know, living life and eating hamburgers and thinking it's all good, really. So, well, if you guys have not heard of uh, Omar Fendi's album, it's called Sayyan Americana, and you probably are, like, living under a rock if you've never heard of that <laughs> album. But, um, or they're just not listening to your radio station. Like, <laughs> before, you know, like, I think it's you at this point. It's, like, everywhere. Uh, but, but that album really is a classic in terms of you bringing, uh, you know, poetry from Izzar Qabani, for example, bringing Asmahan and remixing Asmahan and doing it in a way where even the old people listen to the real Asmahan will say, wow, I'm getting into this. Uh, so a lot of mixing on Syrian Americana, and when you came here a couple of years ago, we were speaking about the album. Yeah. Who would have known that two years later, the Syrian revolution would still be going on? It's bloodier than ever. It's more tragic than ever. Mm -hmm. How do you feel now about that situation, and are you going to translate that into your music in the future? Um, you know, it's tough with Syria, like, my, my emotions fluctuate every single day, you know, I have family there, and, you know, I, for a long time my mother and my sister were still there, and so I couldn't even say the things I wanted to say out of fear of them and what might happen. At families of activists have been targeted, even, not just activists, even musicians, artists, I mean, there's a Syrian-American piano player, Matt Agendari, who played uh, at a rally in D.C., and then a, a few days later, his, his elderly parents and Hans got beaten up by, uh, thugs sent from the regime. Uh, so it was a very real fear, and I wrote that song, Hashtag Syria, in August of 2011, and I didn't release it until March of 2012, and, uh, you know, I, it, it changes every day, you know, and, and the thing is with the Syrian revolution, it's like they call it the orphan revolution, because everybody forgot about it, you know, we were all so, we were just talking about this earlier, everybody was so gung-ho with Tunisia and Egypt, and then like, you know, with Libya, but then the way Libya ended was kind of weird, and then Bahrain is like, ah, oh, let's just put that one away, and what the hell happened in Yemen, and then Syria is like, we don't even understand, it's like the toxic revolution. Everybody forgot about it, nobody wants to touch it, it's too complicated politically, it's too much of a mess for people to be able to comprehend. The ramifications are just so huge that it's like daunting to even talk about or approach the subject. So, I mean, it's heavy, but for me, what I've said consistently is that beneath all the political posturing, all the proxy wars and all the conspiracy theories, there's very real human suffering taking place. And it's half a million refugees outside of Syria and millions internally displaced, 70,000 killed, hundreds of thousands in prison. So it's just a dire humanitarian issue, and for me as a Syrian, and more importantly as a humanitarian, that's kind of what I feel like I want to focus on, because if you get sucked into the political argument, and, and there is plenty for both sides to sit there and, and say whatever they want to say about it, you'll end up losing sight of the fact that at the end of the day, well, there will be no Syria for them to come back to, you know. And if nobody's taking care of these kids who've been out of school for two, three years in these camps now, then, you know, then what are we... Uh, what are we really fighting for, you know? So, 
that's kind of where it goes with that. I, it definitely influences everything I do. It's also created a huge writer's block. I mean, for a while, it's like, what the hell do you want me to say after this many people have died? You know, like, what do you want a song to do for you? But uh, what I have done, I think, relatively successfully in the, in, in the capacity that I can is use, use the music and the song as a rallying point to get people to come together and to raise awareness and to raise funds for the cause. And so I've tried my best to at least do that, you know. Um, but the community gets tapped out after a while, too, you know. It's like uh, one fundraiser after the other, and it's like, all right, we have no more to give, and people keep dying, and you just feel helpless, you know. But what gives me hope is hearing the stories of people there. Uh, every once in a while, like in the darkest moment, I'll hear something from, you know, a cousin or my brother-in-law who does relief work between Turkey and Syria that really just gives you hope that, you know, there will be something to look forward to, uh, or at least to feel like it might be worth it in the long run. Syrian-American rapper Omar Ofendam and a song called Hashtag Syria. And that concluded the second part of my interview with Omar Ofendam and the hip-hop group DAM, spelled D-A-M. Stay tuned next week for uh, the third part of uh, this interview right here on the Arabology Show coming to you from KZSU Stanford, 90.1 FM. Uh, stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, for Sunflower Sutra with your one and only DJ Emma right here on KZSU Stanford. 90.1 FM.